All right. What's going on? Not much, man. What's up with you? Not a whole lot. On vacation, so that rolls. Yeah. Yep. That's good. I'm jealous. I'll be I'll be on vacation next week. Yeah. Which is why this is part one of a double header today. It is. Yeah. Recording so, two episodes. And and Evan and I have never recorded an episode while the sun was still out before. This is very much a, a nocturnal podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. It's uh, usually pretty late. Yeah. And so here we are at midday, and uh, just sweating. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's hot. Yeah. Um. So before we get going, I wanted to fill you in on on the last couple hours of my life. Uh, I I spent the last couple hours playing CK3, Crusader Kings 3. Yep. Uh, which is, for the listener's benefit, um, a massively <laughs> ob- ob- obsession-developing game that yeah. uh, Evan basically begged me to play for years, and then I finally did when the new one came out. And uh, he was right, but also, like, I'll never forgive him for... It's like he got me hooked on meth. Yeah, seriously, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but so I'm pissed. So I think this game is is evil. So everybody starts in Ireland, right? And every so often it's fun to kind of go back, like as you get better at the game, and then just like truck through like an Ireland campaign. Yeah, Noob Island. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I, I created like a a pretty great Iron Man worthy uh, or Iron Man eligible character, and I started, you know, I unified Ireland in under a decade and was like repelling the Vikings and started conquering Britain and all this stuff and yep. everything was lining up great. I had one son who was set to inherit three kingdoms and it was it was all going to plan uh, and then my wife died unexpectedly, right? So I had to remarry and I was like, okay, well, I'll find a really old woman, old by you know, childbearing standards he yep, was yep. really good at stewardship, so I can keep all my lands. So I married a, a 47 or a 46-year-old woman with high stewardship. And the game was like, great, there's like a essentially a 0% chance that she'll ever have kids. And I was like, perfect, because I don't want to mess this up. Yep, and then immediately. Yeah, so I married her, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Immediately she's pregnant, and I'm like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a son. It's going to be a son, and he's going to covet my other son's lands. this little shit. My 30-year-old son, who's been groomed since birth to inherit my realm, will now have to contend with an impetuous child. So, uh, so she has this child. Sure enough, it's a son. So I name him Rat because yep. I fully intend to <laughs> disinherit him and turn him into a, a, a freak. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's which so is great. Child. So I'm like not bothering to like raise him or anything. And then, like, sure enough, as my guy is, like, waning, my king, my glorious king, who, by the way, uh, was completely accidentally named Conan O'Brien. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize that until, like, ten years in, but his, his name was Conan O'Brien. And um, so my heir dies at, like, yeah. age 31. Of so course somebody, he does. Yeah, of course he does. So now, all of a sudden, I'm stuck, and I have this three-year-old <laughs> little shit named Rat that I have to, like, <laughs> elevate to... Elevate to glory, and so yeah. he inherits, and my king dies while he's young, and everything's going pretty well, um, but then, of course, you know, he's still a kid, so everybody starts getting uppity, and yep. I start losing land, and 
the Vikings invade and I'm no longer strong enough to just repel the Vikings and it's it everything fell to shit. But yep. my point is, it sucks to be playing a game where the game is like, oh, you figured out the systems and you're like good at the game. Well, now what we're going to start to do is just giving you situations you can't beat because we don't want anyone to feel too good at Crusader Kings. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't let the players get uppity. Yeah, you wouldn't want your players to be too successful with your formula, so they just change the formula anyway. Yep. It's frustrating. To well, say there's the a least, DLC but. coming out soon, so I know, and I'm excited for that. Yeah, it really is. It really is my favorite game ever, and it's. Yeah. I, I I would not have believed that I would have said that, but but I, I, I agree with you, man. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I begrudgingly agree with you that it is it is the best game ever. Um, Absolutely. So what's going on with you? Uh, not too much. Um. Just uh, kind of hanging out. I uh, watched that god awful movie last night that we're about to do a review of. Oh, absolutely. So, which was, well, I'll save it for that episode. But yeah, I <laughs> yeah, mean, that was terrible. Eventually, because I don't really know which one I want to release first. You and I can talk about that after. But yeah, yeah, this one might be coming out after the other one. Yeah, I don't know. I realistically, I think this episode will come out first. So yeah, when you hear this next week. Uh, we have a cool episode coming. Only because I'll be able to start editing this one first. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I'm, I actually think I still have like 40 minutes left to watch, but I've been busy, so really? I, I haven't finished it. Um, yeah, cool. Left Unread. Welcome to Left Unread. Um, <laughs> yep. This is episode 18, um, yep. which I, I, I came up with multiple alternate titles for. Um, I don't know which one's going to end up winning, but... I like a fistula full of dollars. That one's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, me too. So this this episode is about Louis XIV's uh, uh, anus. Um, this is an episode that I've <laughs> that I've been wanting to do since since I first heard of it, which was around the time we started doing this show. Um, yeah, this, this is, was one of your first ideas, mm -hmm. and I I definitely wanted to hold off until I felt like I could do it justice. And I'm 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 proud of uh, the way that I've written it. I'm proud of the research. I think this is going to be a really fun one. Um, but yeah, so my alternative titles are uh, The Royal Booty is Clean, Your Highness, which is a, a Coming to America reference, uh, a, fis a Fistula Full of Dollars, um, Hand Over Fistula, or Abscessive Compulsive. Um, <laughs> so we'll do a, a, a listener poll, which will actually just be of me and Evan, and we'll decide which one wins. Yeah. But I think Evan's right. I think A Fistula Full of Dollars is the best one. Yeah, that's the best one. Um, but before we dive in and explain like what the hell we're talking about, um, do we have an advertisement for today? We do. We do. Yes. All right, dear listeners, 
Do you love jazz? Can't get enough of those jazz standards that you just love to sing along to while cooking, cleaning, or just enjoying a warm summer day? Well, have we got the product for you. Welcome into your home, the all-new jazz sing-along compilation, Jazz In My Mouth. With such favorites as Fats Maybach and the Silver City Sevens, Once, Twice, Three Times the Music, and Whistlin' Willie Williams, Asleep Next to Jazz, you won't be able to get this jazz out of your mouth. You'll be absolutely glowing while singing along to Lucky Leonard Lewis's Jazz Street Junction, and, of course, you can't go wrong with Howie Cantrell's Kansas City Mix-Up. Who could forget Faro Del Rey and his number one hit, Yesterday I Jazzed? So get that box set off of the shelves and get some jazz in your mouth today. Jazz in my mouth. <laughs> I've been laughing about that all week. <sighs> all right, well... I love it. I got nothing to say. I think that was great. It, it, it's it's it sounds really fun. I'll have to pick up a copy. Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, if there if there's one thing I like more than jazz in my ears, it's it's <laughs> jazz in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, or if you if you really if the mood strikes you, you can have jazz all over your body. Yeah. Multiple different sources of jazz all at once. Yeah. Yeah, just covered in jazz, yeah. Covered, just covered in ja- jazz head to toe. Uh, <laughs> it's jazz all the way down, bud. <laughs> a to Z jazz. <laughs> jazz up the ass, boys. All right. Uh, So, okay, so that was good. Um, and that's perfect, I think, a perfect segue, jazz up the ass, uh, because today, as I mentioned briefly at the start of the episode, uh, we're going to be talking pretty much exclusively about <laughs> ass. Um, that's not a joke. So uh, I've got a w- <laughs> I wrote out a warning. Um, warning, this is the grossest episode that we have yet or are likely to ever record. Uh, if you don't want to hear about the absolute gnarliest, dirtiest man ever, uh, you are a coward and you are worthy of our disdain. However... You have been duly warned. And for everyone else, uh, the strong amongst you who are willing to continue, prepare yourselves for the body horror odyssey that is about to commence. I'm Um, excited. Yeah, I find this subject matter, like, legitimately kind of sickening, but also completely fascinating. So, uh, I mean, anyway, I'll stop hyping it up. Let's just dive in. Yeah, let's talk talk ass. Let's talk ass. Um, So, it's 18... I'm sorry. (laughs) So it's 1686, uh, and Europe is transitioning from the Renaissance age into what historians like to consider the early modern age. Uh, The age of discovery has come and gone. Uh, European hegemony has been well established over vast swaths of the known world, a development that would later prove to be suboptimal for most people involved. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) All sorts of revolutionary ideas are being bandied about in the great courts of Europe, from continuing religious reformation, massive developments in the arts and natural sciences, and the early formation of modern nation states and geopolitics. Uh, Most importantly for our purposes today, medicine. Uh, So in France, the House of Bourbon reigns supreme, and Louis XIV, the great Le Roi Soleil, uh, holds court at his magnificent palace of Versailles, where he sits atop the throne, albeit a bit uncomfortably. 
Uh, you see, Lewis is suffering from a particularly... <laughs> Lewis, I'm going to keep doing that. Lewis! <laughs> you see, King Lewis, King Louis is suffering from a particularly sensitive issue. A heavily infected and massive anal fistula, which has plagued him for years. Amongst uh, those. <laughs> so while the Sun King <laughs> likes to present himself as the picture of masculine health and virility, um, and I wrote, just look at these legs, he says in a wonderful <laughs> French accent. He was, if you look at pictures, like paintings of Louis, he loved to show off his legs in like tight stockings because he <laughs> felt they were his best feature. Um, and he was all about being like a strong, virile, healthy, masculine man. Which yeah. is funny because if you look at it now, I feel like our standards for what that looks like have changed drastically. Um, yeah. But he also looks fabulous. Um, so in actuality, he's a diseased, foul, rancid, prodigiously unclean man with a spectacular array of physical ailments, most of them completely just fucking gnarly and gross. Uh, so now this butthurt king <laughs> has a choice to make. Either continue to suffer from a worsening and increasingly noticeable anal infection or engage the services of a surgeon to attempt to find relief. How does this even happen? <laughs> We're going to find out. Uh, which will the great King Louis choose? Stay tuned to find out on this week's installment of Left Unread, Gross Surgical Body Horror Edition. Um, so Louis... Louis XIV, he's actually a pretty remarkable person, and he could and probably will at some point be the subject of an entire series of episodes. Uh, his 72-year, nice. 110-day reign, which began when he was just a little dude at four years old, remains the longest verifiable reign of any monarch in world history. So, I mean... Uh, We've been talking about the history of the, the kings of Britain. I'm sure there are some legendary reigns that people have already <laughs> reigned for 90 years. But in terms of, of, of reigns that actual we can actually <laughs> like document and verify, Louis takes the cake. Um, so during his yeah, time... I, mean, I think the longest in that book is still only 60 or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's actually pretty reasonable. Yeah. I mean, some well, of the old, like, kings of Rome and the uh, old Chinese emperors and stuff, they, uh, those guys get credited for reigning for, like, 90 years, 80 years, yeah. dying at I 115. Mean, like. I mean, I would say probably the average um, reign in that book is still, like, 40 years or something like that. Oh, so okay. still, which is still actually still unreasonable, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 72 years is, is freakishly long. Um, yeah. But it, you have to understand, you know, he was like a little kid, and he wasn't actually like personally ruling the country until he was in his twenties. Yeah. Um, so during his time, Louis would grow into the physical embodiment of centralized, absolutist, monarchical rule in 17th century Europe. He really was, and a lot of people don't realize this. You know, I think a lot of people think about kings, and especially European kings, and think that since day one, it's been this sort of absolute monarchy, primogeniture situation where you have yeah. these these kings who are sort of all powerful, and you know their wishes, their subjects command, and then their son inherits. But really, it's it's a much more complicated issue. Um, yep. But so it wasn't really until until the 17th century that you saw European kings start to completely dominate and grab power in this way, um, at least post you know like imperium post like early medieval era. Um, yep, yep. So it's kind of unique in that regard. Um, his successes and his excesses may have created a sort of French golden age, but they also brought about many of the changes which would eventually lead to the French Revolution nearly a century after his death in 1715. Yep. Uh, from the construction of the Grand Palace at Versailles to his revocation of the Treaty of Nantes uh, and successive victory over the, uh, the Huguenot 
uh, Protestants, uh, from smashing the Dutch to securing Bourbon succession in Spain, from his political, religious, and military reforms to his championing of the fine arts, Louis deserves a massive examination and dissection of his rule. He really is uh, an impressive figure, figure yep. uh, because his rule was truly fascinating, not just for France, but in terms of like global history. However, mm -hmm. we are not going to be doing any of that today. Today, we are just going to talk about Louis' filthy, diseased butthole. <laughs> <laughs> so as I mentioned at the top of the episode, Louis Dieudonné, uh, which I think means 14th in French, he's got a lot of titles, um, and I'm yeah. going to try to try to say them all at some point. Uh, he's a disgusting freak. Um, bathing and personal hygiene in general were not major priorities in European society as a whole at this time. Yep. Um, doctors, quote unquote, I put here, uh, if you could call them that, had long been making like essentially the polar opposite assumptions about proper treatment of ailments and general health. So like, are you feeling sick? Close all your windows. We're going to drain your blood, get rid of all those nasty white blood cells. And whatever you do, do not wash any part of yourself because that in, uh, invites your pores to open and disease <laughs> to fly into your body. Um, yeah, you, uh, you don't want your humors to get out of whack. Yeah. Also, not for nothing, but being naked, including bathing, uh, encourages promiscuous activity and straying from the path of holiness. So the church also sort of condemns bathing too frequently. <laughs> um, so in my travels doing research for this, I came across this awesome excerpt from the book Perfume by a man named Patrick Suskind, which so wonderfully sums up the general nastiness of the era that I'm just going to go ahead and read it and quote it in its entirely, entirety. Uh, in the period of which we speak, there reigned in the cities a stench barely conceivable to us modern men and women. The streets stank of manure, the courtyards of urine, the stairwells stank of moldering wood and rat droppings, <laughs> the kitchens of spoiled cabbage and mutton fat, the unaired parlors stank of stale dust, the bedrooms of greasy sheets, damp feather beds, and the pungently sweet aroma of chamber pots. The stench of sulfur rose from the chimneys, the stench of caustic lies from the tanneries, and from the slaughterhouses came the stench of congealed blood. People stank of sweat and unwashed clothes. From their mouths came the stench of rotting teeth. From their bellies, that of onions. And from their bodies, if they were no longer very young, came the stench of rancid cheese oh. and sour milk and tumorous <laughs> disease. <laughs> the Jesus. rivers stank. The marketplaces stank. The churches stank. It stank, the, it stank beneath the bridges and in the palaces. The peasant stank, as did the priest. The apprentice, as did his master's wife. The whole of the aristocracy stank. Even the king himself stank. Stank like a rank lion. And the queen like an old goat, summer and winter. And I just thought that was like a really That's awesome passage <laughs> to describe like how fucking gross just everywhere and everything was. Yeah, dude, it, imagine like just like walking down the street back then in like a city and some asshole from the third floor just dumps their chamber pot. Yeah, like, so tosses it. Like, I read stories in this. And I'm not going to get into it, but that happened everywhere. There are stories yeah. about uh, like nobles in the palace at Versailles getting fucking diarrhea dumped on them from top story windows. Like <laughs> everyone was just tossing shit out the window everywhere like nowhere was safe they had seats in the palace that were just like in a room like cushioned seats covered in like cloth and felt where you could like open a hole and just take a shit while you were like sitting at the table like people were just dropping trowel and dumping and like 
adjoining rooms. It was it was filthy. Um, and actually, flushable toilets existed at this time, but they were such a novelty that like most people, not even like French royalty, had them. Yeah. Um, so Christ, despite man. all of this, Louis the Fourteenth is considered to have been an exceptionally filthy man, even by contemporary <laughs> European Jesus standards. Christ. So take everything I just said into account when I say that he was a dirty bastard. Um, yeah. Apparently, he 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 boasted that he took only three baths in his entire life, which I guess would have been his <laughs> baptism, his coronation, and his wedding day. Um, but this is probably uh, I'll have you know I've only bathed thrice. Right. And, and to him, that would have been him saying, like, I'm clean and I am chaste and I do yeah. not expose my body to, 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 you know, the evils of sexuality and to the... Yeah, these the, pores have been caked over with... <laughs> just human grease. belly cheese for decades. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this was actually, it was, was likely and almost definitely hyperbole. Uh, Versailles had a huge, magnificent bathhouse. Um, but he did probably only bathe on doctor's orders. So, like, whenever he wasn't feeling well, they might say, like, you have to clean yourself, you know, just <laughs> once. Don't want to go crazy. Um, so as one might expect, he smelled absolutely unfathomably atrocious just as a general rule. So he combated this in innumerable but highly insufficient ways. So he was obsessed with perfumes and floral fragrances, having his clothes washed in an extravagant concoction of various spices and flowers boiled in rose water, and having basically everyone and everything around him constantly sprayed with various perfumes. This must have been, like, unbearable to be around him. Well, so it actually was for him, too. He famously suffered from excruciating migraines, um, which were triggered by these perfumes. So this is actually true. Like, I don't burn scented candles in my house because they trigger migraines. Um, Certain essential oils, like, really do trigger this. But so in order to, to keep him smelling fresh, they had to do all sort of other things because if he was sprayed with too many perfumes, he would have these, like, brain-shattering headaches. Um, So he changed his undergarments at least three times daily, probably just because they were full of fucking goop, just like Fremunda cheese. Um, And he had his body rubbed down with distilled spirits and alcohol to, like, disinfect himself. Imagine having that job. Oh, yeah. There were people... (laughs) Hold on, I'm going to sneeze. So... One of the things that sort of revolutionized his his reign and made him so able to centralize power is that he basically turned Versailles into what was called like a gilded cage. So he had his nobles, they were forced to spend a certain amount of time just waiting on him like personally at his palace. And so they had to come up with jobs for all these people. And so there were people whose job it was to like help him take a shit and then wipe his ass. (laughs) There were people whose job it was to just like document not only to help him get dressed in the morning, but then you'd have another guy like describing the process and writing it down. Like every single thing that you can imagine, like every example of royal excess, this dude was fully taking advantage of. And it was literally just to degrade his nobles so they didn't get any big ideas. Like, hey, listen, man, you might be a duke, but you're still just the guy that fucking pulls the turd out of my butthole. And um, (laughs) so he literally would have had people like taking, like peeling his fucking sweat caked, ball cheese underwear off of his dirty rancid nuts every single day (laughs) and then just be like my the king sure is beautiful like it's fucking absurd this whole thing is just disgusting and absurd yeah that reminds me of this uh it was this like graphic i saw once about um ancient roman toilets and uh it showed somebody holding like a sponge on a stick yeah i forget exactly what they called it but it was basically to like 
somebody would wipe somebody else's ass. Yeah. And it was just like uh, the um, the sponge stick used to uh, clean the anus, uh, well known to uh, historical sources. Dude, I, I remember hearing, maybe you showed me that, but I feel like I've I seen that I did, before. Yeah. I just love the well known to historical sources yeah, part. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't want to use a sponge with a stick? Yeah. It makes me think of, um, have you ever seen Demolition Man? Uh, with Wesley Snipes and I, Sylvester that, Stallone? That's in my uh, Sylvester Stallone uh, Blu-ray collection. Oh, my God, dude. You have to watch it. I, I'll watch it with I, you. I have watched it. It's so bad. But, like, when they go into the bathroom and there's just three, like, seashells sitting there, and he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And they're like, this guy doesn't know how to use the three shells. Like, that's that's what it's like with the sponge on the stick. I mean, that was a little more obvious, I guess, but... Um, so he also had a special outdoor pavilion built for lovemaking, uh, so that instead of the absolutely filthy reek of unwashed parts just slapping together, he could smell that mixed with flowers, which I guess is, like, marginally better. Um, and did I mention that his mouth and gums were full of rotten teeth and abscesses, and that his halitosis was supposed to be, like, so legendary that his partners would, like, spray themselves with extra perfume to try to mask the smell of him when they had to go have sex with him. Yeah. Uh, apparently by 40, he had no teeth left at all and had to eat like a mostly like smashed up liquid diet. Dude, that, that reminds me of um, Napoleon's uh, first wife who uh, she was like brought up in, um, I think in Haiti or, or somewhere in the Caribbean and she was like really into sweets. So her mouth was just like all like rotting teeth, which mm-hmm. is why she's like never smiling in pictures, like showing her teeth. She would always like try to hide it. Yeah, Louis was this, he, Louis was obsessed with, with sweets as well, I guess. Yeah. He, all he wanted was like bonbons and cakes and pastries and shit. Jesus and when you're the Christ. most powerful man in Europe, like who's going to say no? Yeah. You know? Um, Another great quote, there was uh, the Russian ambassador to the palace at Versailles famously wrote that the king, quote, stunk like a wild animal, (laughs) which I just love. Like, this is this guy whose whole image is based on being, like, the beautiful, like, paragon of civilized society, and he's just, like, a rancid, rotting He smells like he's in a barn. (laughs) Yeah, dude, he probably stinks worse than, like, any dog you've ever encountered. He's just filthy, covered in weeping sores. Like Like a mangy, fucking parasite-ridden dog. Uh, Well, basically, so, uh, there's actually a bit more to go into. So, uh, his courtiers, as I mentioned, kept intimate records of his health and daily, like, hygiene habits down to daily excretions so it is well documented that in addition to his rotten ass teeth he also suffered from symptoms that would today probably be associated with diabetes Uh, so he had what we call separating periostitis which is a breaking down of the tissue surrounding his bones just because all he ate was sugar Uh, massive weeping boils all over his body, constant dizziness and fainting, uh, horrible headaches hot flashes, a lifelong struggle with gout uh, and the absolute cream of the crop, a big, stinky, inflamed anal fistula, which by the time of our story in 1686 has become such a problem that he basically can't do anything and it's time for treatment. Um, so we're going to discuss, because I remember at the start you said, how did this happen? Well, here's here's the process. So um, I got a lot of my details of the uh, the fistula itself and the ensuing operation from this Norwegian medical journal, which I'm going to butcher, but it's called, I think, Tidskriftet. 
Um, and they there was an English language article about this, which was just so great that I, that's basically the source for everything from here on out. Yeah. Uh, so Louis developed what was described as a quote tumor of the crotch. Jesus Christ. <laughs> At the start, in January of 1686. Um, so his court physician, who's a man named Antoine Daquin, or Daquin, uh, described it as being a painless lump about two finger breadths in front of his anus, with no pain, redness, or throbbing. Uh, this was likely caused by an infected gland, which apparently was a very common complaint among Jeez. not only the nobility, but everyone. Fucking Christ, these are like street time. dogs, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so his doctors attempted treatment first by using hot compresses soaked in sugar. Um, but surprise, surprise, this actually leads to like a way worsening of the infection because they're just putting food for bacteria all over his big uh, tumor, which leads to an, as an abscess being formed, which is like an open sore. Um, so they would repeatedly attempt to lance this boil with a red-hot poker to drain the pus. And then they would dry the area using various herbs and roses, which were cooked in red burgundy wine. I wrote, notes of ripe pit fruit, cut grass, and dried tobacco. Um, they would then pack the resultant crater, and crater is the term that they used in this medical journal, uh, with all sorts of things, none of which helped, but which caused the king immense pain and distress. So they would lance this boil open, peel away like the outer layer of skin so it was just a big hole, and then they would just stuff stuff into it, hoping it would help, but all it did was like make the hole wider and bigger, and they're basically just digging a tunnel in through the side of his anus into like his colon. Um, to combat this, which is wonderful, the king would be fed laxatives and then given like hardcore enemas to flush the area out, again, all of which are just putting pressure on this like developing hole and like making it deeper and grosser. Uh, so it's eventually uh, a full-on fistula has formed, which is basically a tunnel connecting an external opening outside the anus with the interior of the anal cavity. So it's sort of what like a second butthole, like a, fuck, a second man. infected butthole that's not supposed to be there. So if you've ever told somebody you're going to tear them a new asshole, that's literally what happened to Louis XIV. Uh, his doctors quite literally tore him a new asshole. Uh, the wound refuses to heal. It continues to leak pus and other fun things into his underwear, which now have to be changed even more often than normal, which is Dude, a real Imagine bummer. being the poor piece of shit that's got to, like, tend to this, like, dude's rotting ass. Yeah, man. Yeah. And they have to pretend that it's, like, not a big deal. And they're just like, oh, no, your highness, this, oh, you, the royal anus is perfect. It is perfect. Oh, you should see the state of my anus. It is far worse than your majesty's. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is about the worst thing that I can possibly imagine happening to me. Uh, Le Roi Soleil, the Sun King, apparently agrees because he becomes totally fed up with his court physicians and takes sort of an I unprecedented mean, yeah, he step. Should be, man. They're just like stuffing like sugar and random shit into like yeah. an open sore like in his herbs ass. and stuff cooked in wine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it should also be noted that this is not merely just like a painful and or cosmetic issue. Uh, his fistula has a, has a smell. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail. They're, they're, they're fucking stuffing the thing like it's a capon or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> listen to you, a capon. That's not even yeah. a thing anybody fucking... You, it the, was back then. No, I know it was. I'm just saying that's like the most like history nerd thing to say. <laughs> For those of us listening, a capon yeah. is a, a castrated rooster that yeah. develops like a chicken because it was considered too common for nobles to eat hens like we yeah, eat you now. Yeah, can't be eating like the pores. Right, but if you eat uh, a rooster, roosters are tough and stringy because their muscles develop differently and they're, they're flooded with testosterone. So they would castrate roosters so that they tasted like chicken rather than eat chicken, and that's a capon. 
Um, which Evan just pulled out of his his fistula. Yep, yeah, that's right where that <laughs> came out of. Because um, I have one of those too. Yeah, absolutely. Who doesn't? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can pretty much figure out what this smells like. It's just a second butthole without a sphincter that just goes directly into his colon, and it's just exposed to the air at all times, and he doesn't yeah, bathe. Yeah, so. but this one is uh, complete with rot. Yeah, because he just doesn't wash it ever. He just lets people stuff fucking sugar into it. <laughs> um, so he decides... <laughs> so eventually, after like six months of this, he decides that drastic measures are in order, and the hunt for a surgeon begins. So operating on the king is, is a big fucking deal. Um, also, even admitting that he needs an operation would have major political implications. So they carry out this entire thing in secret. Only like his, his new wife, uh, the priest that he confesses to, and his doctor know that he's this sick. Because, you know, they don't want to admit to people. He doesn't even tell his son, the Dauphin, which is what they call the Prince of France. It actually means yeah. Dolphin. Um, yeah, literally dolphin. <laughs> yeah, uh, because they didn't. They wouldn't want to let this little greedy prick get any ideas about trying to kill daddy and take over. Um, yeah. So the king's chief surgeon is summoned, a man named Charles Francois Felix, uh, and he was given permission to take four months to design, practice, and prepare for the revolutionary operation to salvage Louis's obliterated anus. So at this time, barber surgeons, which it's one job. Uh, we're still looking. We're still looked down upon by the quote-unquote true medical community in Europe. Uh, so Louis' physician Dakin would likely have been utterly humiliated at this development. They they would have tried to convince him to do everything but have surgery because surgeons at this point were pretty much relegated to just like amputators of uh, yeah. you know people that were wounded on the battlefield and peasants and things like that. Um, yeah, he just probably wanted to stick an entire sugar cane up the fucking king's ass. Yeah, he would literally <laughs> probably have rather the king died under his treatment than seek treatment from a surgeon. But you obviously can't admit that. So, um, so yeah, so because of Dakin's consternation and his control over the royal health records, hardly any records exist like officially of this process. Um, but it has been conjectured that Felix was allowed to practice on sub, uh, patients from the local hospital. So he's basically just taking poor people out of the hospital and performing unnecessary butt just surgeries on them. Just assholes open. Yeah, creating fistulas and then trying to fix them. Um, likely killing several people in the process, but of course none of this is documented because this is, you know, important collateral damage to save the king. Yeah. Um, however, this horrifying process bears fabulous fruit, and he is eventually, uh, he eventually develops exactly the right tool to help the king, which is called le bisturie royal, or the royal probe, which is a long, curved, silver probe scalpel hybrid. Um, and you can look it up, le bisturie royal. Um, there, it still exists. And they actually keep it at, uh, what do they call it? The Musée d'Histoire de la Médecine in Paris, um, which is uh, the, the medical history museum um, somewhere around Versailles, I think. And there's actually a video on YouTube that I watched where, like, these two French women talk about this. And she, like, takes it out of the case and, like, shows it off, like, with her bare hands. And I was like, ugh. Oh, no, that thing is never going to be clean again. Mm -mm, no. Um, so finally the day of the operation comes, and the team is assembled. So at 5 a.m., Félix Dacan, Dacan's successor, a man named Guy Cresson, <laughs> Guy Cresson, Cresson uh, Fagon, 
and four local apothecaries all enter Versailles through separate hidden entrances to avoid arousing suspicion. Uh, Louis apparently is quite brave, and he takes a great interest in all of the tools and medicines that are arrayed. So what they do is they take the king, and they, they, they place him face down on a bed. They put a pillow under his belly to prop him up. He gets yeah. to face the window so he can get some fresh air and look outside. And then two of the apothecaries, one each, grab his legs, spread Jeez. his legs open, and lift them up. So his shit is just wide open and exposed. And then they hold him there in place, and Felix goes to work. Uh, everyone says, and I, I'm sure that they wouldn't have said otherwise, uh, but everyone says that the king takes it like a champ, uh, apparently saying towards the end, Is it over, gentlemen? Finish. Do not treat me like a king. I want to recover as though I were a peasant, which is funny, uh, because no peasant would ever have been given this level of care and would likely have just died months ago because they, like, drank from the same hole they shit in. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> this is actually a truly groundbreaking surgical procedure. So uh, although ultimately, um, again, due to Duquesne being a prissy dickwad, he really only writes about it in the official royal uh, record. It's like a little footnote of the king's daily health log. But Felix himself, luckily, writes like an 18-page treatise on this operation, uh, which is where most of our current info comes from. So Louis recovers from the fistula, uh, but he does require two more repeat operations just to make sure everything's healing properly. And by 10 a.m., apparently, he's sitting up in bed and holding court from his bedroom uh, in high spirits, singing, feeling great. And two days later, he's back on his feet doing his normal duties. Um, as a result of this, uh, Felix is granted a title, lands, a palace, a bunch of gold. Um, for people that suffered from fistulas, which, as I mentioned, were pretty common at this time just due to general poor hygiene, um, this is like a ray of light from heaven. Um, Felix himself is in, in super high demand, and he's also teaching other people uh, this operation, and he's performing his own operation nonstop. Uh, but the funny thing about this is that like anything that the king does, uh, this becomes super fashionable. Um, fistula operations sort of become like vogue in Versailles. Uh, so even people that don't actually have a fistula start trying to pay Felix to perform operations on their anuses. Yeah. Um, and officially he denied all these requests. Like that's what, that's what the records state. But I mean like, I don't know. I, I have a hard time imagining that if like some duke came up to him and was like, I'll give you like all these reals to slice open my butt and patch me up, like why would he fucking say no? You know what I yeah. mean? Just chalk them all up as successful operations. So I don't know. Uh, but generally speaking, the reputation of surgeons in Europe goes uh, uh, undergoes a total revision at this point, basically overnight. Um, so the failure of the physicians to treat the fistula despite their best efforts, cannot be kept secret. Um, and that, combined with the stunning success of Felix, not to mention his bravery in being willing to perform surgery on the king, which the price of failure of that would have been probably at least imprisonment, if not death. Yeah. Um, this all sort of leads to surgeons becoming rock stars in Europe basically overnight. Um, there are several other instances where surgeons step in and save the king, including setting a badly dislocated arm after he falls off his horse and removing Whoa. a super-infected abscess from his neck. Reminder. Jesus. He's this a, guy is fucking disgusting. Yeah, oh, he, my he, God, He's dude. a rancid person. Just dude, rancid. He's, he's just got open he's sores like and shit. He's like a fucking street dog, man. Like. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. He's just like covered in abscesses and boils, <laughs> and his like ass is rotting and stinking. Yeah, 
Yeah. But thanks to Felix, he would go on to live a happy, healthy life before dying of gangrene. Uh, so, in 1715, uh, he develops an aggressive gangrene in his leg, um, which is, again, probably likely due to diabetes. Um, yeah. And he's misdiagnosed, again, by his court physicians. They think that it's just sciatica, which is like nerve pain in the leg, um, which is generally non-fatal, although it can be really disruptive. Uh, yeah. The physicians continually reject surgical intervention um, until it's way too late, and the king finally personally appeals to his surgeons and says, like, I need you to cut my leg off. The doctors are being stupid. Cut my leg off. And he receives this grim prognosis. Sire, we can remove your leg, but we cannot save your life. Uh, when word of this escapes Versailles, again, on the este- again, it, like, raises the esteem of surgeons throughout Europe. Um, yeah. The idea is, is pretty quickly disseminated that had surgeons intervened earlier, uh, the king would probably have survived. Uh, This dude is like the least healthy person I've ever heard of, and he's just like living for like almost 80 years. Yeah, he lived a long-ass, disgusting, stinky (laughs) life. Just like as he's just like rotting and his leg is falling off and shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was a gross person. Um, so during Louis' reign, after his successful operation, uh, he funds a uh, sort of a, a surgical revolution in Paris. Uh, he establishes a royal surgical academy where Felix and other surgeons come to learn and teach and share pros- uh, procedures. And it actually starts drawing students and also patients from across greater Europe, generally the nobility, but yeah, whatever. It's leading to developments, uh, massive developments in medicine. So the period between Louis' successful fistula operation and the start of the revolution in 1789, when temporarily all of the like great academies of Paris are shut down, uh, yeah. Paris becomes like the center of surgical innovation in Europe and and really the globe at this period. Um, massive strides are made in the treatment of variously of uh, various previously uncurable maladies. So, in summation, thanks to Louis XIV's horrendous personal hygiene and tendency towards excruciating, disgusting physical maladies, and thanks again to the innovation and personal bravery of his chief surgeon, Charles-François Félix, massive surgical innovations overtook the Parisian medical community and led down the path to modern surgical innovations that benefit global society today. So thanks, Louis, for being a filthy animal. That's all, that's actually it. Jesus that's the whole story. Christ, man. I wanted to do because we're doing two shows today, so this is going to be a shorter episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, what do you think, man? What do you think about about Louis's butt surgery? This is one of the most unpleasant things I've ever heard in my life. I completely <laughs> agree. But <laughs> I like could not stop laughing as I was reading and writing this because just the absolute level of like personal physical depravity of this man. It's 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 unfathomable. I, I don't even know what Louis the Fourteenth looks like. Oh, dude, bring him up. So he's he's yeah. he's a pretty grand looking lad, to say the yeah. least. Like he he's got a, a really distinct look. Yeah. Um, he he wore these really big, like curled wigs. Yeah, right? dude, that wig is wild. Yeah, and you can see what I'm talking about, like where he likes to show off his legs. So in a lot of these photos, he's got <laughs> yeah, these stockings yeah, yeah. on and he's wearing like this like hiked up little robe. Yeah. And the the most famous one, did, can you did see? Did you get my leg? Did you get my leg? <laughs> did, 
he's carrying Charlemagne's sword in a lot of them, which is actually pretty yeah. cool. And I saw it's like this like really anachronistic like big like arming sword on his hip, and I was like, that's yeah. got to be Charlemagne's. And I looked it yeah. up, and like, yep, the French kings had Charlemagne's sword for a really long yeah. time, um, nice. which is really cool. So yeah, so I mean, ultimately this leads to a surgical renaissance. So it's, I guess, good that there was someone wealthy enough and extravagant enough to start paying surgeons to do experimental like surgeries on them. But what I was wondering is like, I wonder what they had as far as anesthesia. Like, yeah. did he just drink a bottle of wine and say, all right, like, go at it? Because honestly, that does take a certain level of uh, yeah, personal bravery and fortitude, even though he looks like a total priss. Like, I mean, he's wearing literal high heels in this photo, but yeah, yeah I told you, he's, he's just fabulous. getting his asshole tunneled out. Yeah, he's like, he's like, it's just such a, a, a dichotomy of imagery where he's this like silk clad, opulent, fabulously wealthy monarch. But, like, underneath all that, he's just, like, rancid and horrible. And everything around yeah. him just stinks like piss and shit. And, like, he's got no teeth, and he's just, like, a stinky mess. Yeah. So. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun just just with the very notion of, like, the most powerful man in the world being, like, a fucking scumbag. Yeah, just like yeah. a filthy barn animal. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Well, um I'm not gonna say thank you for uh, explaining all this to me, but that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, like I said, this is a this is a shorter one because um, Evan and I are doing a double header, and I have a feeling that our second episode is gonna be a little bit longer, just because there's yeah. gonna be more to kind of talk about. Yeah, um, I've got, I hand wrote my notes for that one, and it's like nine of these pages or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I have nothing close to that. I mean, I've been watching it, but I've just make, been making little observations about uh, what's going on. So, For those of you listening, uh, next week's episode will be a movie episode, but we're actually keeping it to history, which is a departure, and uh, we are going to have our first two guests on the show, which yep. I, I will allow them to introduce themselves uh, when the time is right. Um, yep. But until then, um, thank you all for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this uh, this this fabulous dissection, if you will, of uh, <laughs> nasty surgical history. Yep. And uh, as always, we'll have links in the episode description to uh, places you can get in touch with us and listen to our show uh, and check out all the music that's used on our show. Um, and yeah. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, May was our biggest month yet, and yep. so we're both thank really you everybody. Yeah, yeah, we're really excited to uh, to keep going and to start breaking out some 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 cool stuff. And uh, hopefully, you know, the numbers just keep going up. And, and we really appreciate all the uh, all the all the listens and all the attention that we've been getting. So, yep. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, tell your friends about us. Tell your family about us. And give us five-star ratings. Yeah, but more importantly, just keep listening because that yeah. makes us feel really good, and we appreciate it. And yep. I know that we troll you guys for likes and stuff all the time, but uh, just just the fact that you're that you're liking what we're doing is making us feel really good. So, yep. All right. Well, until next time, thanks again for listening to Left Unread, and we will catch you later. Yeah.